Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Be Here for a While. I am the most excited I have ever been about a podcast episode, and I'm not just saying it. This episode and interview meant so much to me. As a huge rock fan and a fan of his music, being able to interview Brian Adams was everything. Adams rose to fame in North America with his 1983 album Cuts Like a Knife and turned into a global star with his 1984 album Reckless, which produced some of his best-known songs, including Run to You and Summer of 69. In 1991, he released Everything I Do, I Do It For You from the album Waking Up the Neighbors, and the song became a worldwide hit. For his contributions in music, Adams has garnered many awards and nominations, including 20 Juno Awards among 56 nominations, 15 Grammy Award nominations, including a win for Best Song Written Specifically for a Motion Picture or Television in 1992. Adams is also one of the best-selling music artists of all time. And if that's not enough, he's also an incredibly accomplished photographer, activist, and humanitarian. You can catch him touring all around the world, performing his new album, Get Up, and you get to hear from him right now. I'm super honored to have Brian Adams as a guest. Well, thank you for doing this. I'm really excited to speak to you, and I hope to meet you in person at some point and come to one of your shows. You'll be more than welcome. Yeah, I've loved your music for a long time. Thank you, Rachel. Yeah. So, okay, so where are you right now? I'm in the hurricane area. So, I I'm, don't understand. Is it not scary for you? Kind of, but I'm not in the direct path of the hurricane. But the, the bad news is that I've had to postpone three shows this weekend in Florida, which is a bummer. So, where you were performing wherever you are now, and then you were supposed to go to Florida, and now you're just stuck there? Basically, Hurricane Irma, mm -hmm. that's her name. <laughs> has sort of screwed up my weekend. It's very unfair that they call them female names a lot. I mean, I know that Harvey, they called it a male name, but I just find it a little insulting. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be insulted because actually the names of the hurricanes sort of organized thing. Okay. It's, you can't just suddenly randomly go, oh, I want to call this hurricane Rachel. It, it, <laughs> it has to be whatever the next one is, in, and it's all been predetermined. But is it? But how, where do they even get the names from? Is it alphabetical or? So, somebody worked it out a long time ago, and those are the names that hurricanes will always be. So there may be another Hurricane Harvey in you know uh, thirty hurricanes from now. But, oh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was like, it makes sense too that it was Harvey and now Irma, so it goes alphabetically, right? Exactly. Yeah. God, I'm a genius. I might as well be a meteorologist. I picked it up quickly. Do you have hobbies outside of being a rock star? I don't really have any hobbies because I either do something all the way or not at all. Okay, so so what, so anything outside of music you do all the way. So if you pick up like a new like language or something you do it, explain. If I really wanted to learn another language I would do my best to learn it. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you do outside of music then? That's not oh, a hobby. Wow, that's, that, that's, a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. Really? Oh, you're a photographer. I, I've seen that on your social media. Yes? Yeah. And you do that like almost like, like not professional, but yeah, somewhat professionally, it looks like. I mean, I guess it's professional. I, you know, it's really hard because someone says, you know, you're a professional musician. It's like, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm just a musician. Yeah. So you were born in Canada, yes? Where at? Where at? Kingston. What is that close to? My mom was born in Whitehorse, which I know is in the middle of nowhere. Okay, Whitehorse is about as far away from Kingston as you could possibly get. Yeah, I assume it's as far away from everything as you could possibly get. Am I right on that? 
Well, no, there's, there's, you could go further. You could go up into the Arctic Circle. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm actually not kidding. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, White Horse is, is way up in, in the tundra. Okay. I don't know why they were there. I mean, I guess I sort of do, but she didn't live there. Well, before. a lot of Irish people emigrated and then sort of dispersed all over Canada. So perhaps... Well, she was she act- she's actually on my... My dad's Irish, my mom's Italian. But my mom's mom married a Scottish dude, so maybe that's why. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Scots love it up in the cold. Yeah. When did you know you wanted to do music? I always sort of knew I'd be in music somehow, but I didn't know what would happen, because you, you have no way of really knowing that. Were you talented in music as a kid? Like, did you, did you know how to sing? Did you pick up instruments and know how to play them easily? Hopelessly untalented. <laughs> That's not true. You know what you're doing. Okay, when was the first time you learned to play the guitar? What, 13? Oh no, way before that. Oh, you were very young. Oh, oh yeah, early, early. Mm-hmm. My very first guitar was a Mouseketeer guitar. Was that it, a it real is. guitar or was it like one of those electronic ones? I don't remember the Mouseketeer guitar. You have to Google it. Okay. So you got interested in doing music early on? There was no question my father was really into music and I, re- I had my own music and it was the 60s. It was really a, a great time to be listening to music. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I knew, I knew it'd be, I'd be doing something and I didn't know what though. Do you feel like it was different then than it is now where it's, it was more oh, yeah. people got into it? Really? Yeah, that's probably well, you, true. Th- you have no, there was no access to anything. You know, if you wanted to know anything about any of your favorite musicians, you'd have to just sort of wait by the radio. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and that was when musicians were real musicians and it wasn't all electronic. You sort of had to go out and prove yourself. You had mm-hmm. to go out and do gigs and get a get a bit of a following going. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like you could just go in a studio and just snap off a hit record. Totally. <laughs> this, this didn't work that way. I love that kind of thing. That reminds me of stand-up where it's like you still have to go in the clubs and hone your craft and you don't just get to do it. It's, that's, that's very cool. I wish I wish music was still like that now. Yeah, I mean, but you know, it's just, it's just different now. It's a different thing now. Mm-hmm. So was your was your dad ever in a band, or he was just uh, oh no had musical talent? No, he just he just liked music. Yeah. What made you think like, all right, I could I could be in a band, or I could be a singer? I never actually thought that. I just thought if I'm going to get out of this dishwashing job, I've got to do something. <laughs> yeah. So this seems like a good idea, and I'll. I don't know if you know what a busker is. Do you know what a busker is? No, I don't think. Maybe it just might be a different term. What does it mean? A busker is someone that, that sort of plays on the street. and. Oh, yeah. Uh, so anytime I would go for an audition, I would literally be busking mm-hmm. um, and just see if I could sort of blag my way into a job. Mm-hmm. I basically passed every audition I had except for two. Really? Yeah. And how would you get these auditions? Was it just like... I would just hear about it. There's an audition for a guitar player for such and such. But the two that I didn't get, I didn't pass, were for being the guitar player in the band. Really? Everyone, yeah, every, every time I auditioned as a singer, I got the job. And any time I auditioned as a guitar player, I didn't get the job. Uh-huh. So that sort of answers your earlier question. <laughs> well, you do have a beautiful voice, so I can see how that may be led. Well, thankfully, the guitar playing um, is got a bit better since then. Yeah. 
So you were you were just you were washing dishes at the time you wanted to be a musician. Like, did you go to college or anything? Oh no, I I dropped out of school when I was fifteen. Really? Yeah. Were your parents cool with that, or did they just not care? Were they like on top of you, or were they just like let you do whatever you want? Basically, I auditioned for a band and got the job, and that seemed like a much better option than going to school. Oh, I see. So they were apparently going to pay me, which was a very exciting proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, being paid for what you wanted to do, great. Especially at fifteen. Yeah, and it, it turned out that I I didn't get paid, but I still had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. How long were you with that band? Uh, just about a year. Mm-hmm. You know that classic line, oh yeah, the check's in the mail? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that was, basically I was told that every month. Oh yeah, 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 well, we're, the check's in the mail. Oh, okay. But you were having and, so much fun, you didn't... Well, I was sort of on tour, so I, I wasn't really able to keep track of it. Mm-hmm. And, and then finally it was time to just say, you know what? See yeah, ya. interesting. What happened after that? Did you just, you just kept auditioning for other bands and going? No, actually, when I left the band, I, I started doing studio work in Vancouver. And I got in with some good people and started working with these great musicians. And from there, it was meeting my co-writer, which I still work with today, mm-hmm. Jim Valance. And we write songs together. And you still work with him now? Yeah. Who was the first, uh, besides him, who was the first like big influence that you met when you were you were starting out? Like the first person, or unless it was him, first and second, I guess, that kind of drove your career of like, okay, this is the kind of music I want to write, or this is the kind of music I want to play, or I look up to this person's career. Oh, I mean, like what kind of music did I, li- I like? Or no, like a mus- maybe a musician that you met that you were working with in the studio, like maybe... The, the musicians I, I worked with back then were, were studio musicians. It, it wasn't like I was running into, because Vancouver's sort of off the beaten track. It's like mm-hmm. almost as far as Whitehorse is to, yeah. you know. Um, I actually, but, I love Vancouver. It's beautiful. It's not that far from where I grew up, and it looks very similar to it. It's only like a... Vancouver is beautiful, but yeah. back, in, back in the 70s, if, you, if you're a musician, you weren't, you weren't going to be bumping into... Yeah. You know, it wasn't like you were in L.A. where you could, you could actually bump into somebody you know, huge. Did, how long did you stay in Vancouver doing that? Or did, was it, did you get like signed when you were there or did you have yeah, to move I, to a different? I signed, I signed when I was 18 to Jeez. a record company mm-hmm. and oddly I'm still sort of kind of signed to the same infrastructure today, the same label. That's um, pretty rare, right? Well, I mean, it's not, it's, if I think about it, my contract got sort of handed down a hundred times. Do you remember how you felt in that moment when you were 18 years old and got your first record record deal? Yeah, I felt a, sort of a great sense of relief because I felt like everybody was going to abandon ship if I didn't get something going. Uh, so it was quite good. And the folklore about that deal is that I signed the contract for one dollar. Oh, really? That's like a known thing that people say? You no, know, it's the truth. I actually signed for a dollar. Oh, my gosh. What and is that like unheard of? I'm, I assume it is. Well, in, in order, I think in order for a contract to be legally bound, uh, you have to have a, a sort of a, a monetary handover, mm-hmm. and because they didn't want to give me any money, because I was untried and they had no, I had no sort of manager or no band or anything. I just had some songs. Mm-hmm. They 
thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll give you a, we'll give you a contract, but you got to sort of prove yourself. So we'll give you the opportunity to we'll take you in the studio and everything, but you, you basically sign this for free. It's like, ugh. well, better to have a foot in the door, is what I thought. And totally. So that's, so that's what that's what happened. How long did you stay in Vancouver? Did you go to LA shortly thereafter, or were were they mostly working with you out of there? Uh, first time I was in LA when I was. 16, and then I was there again um, shortly after I finished making the record. Uh, we mixed in L.A. when I was 19. Mm-hmm. We thought it was just cool. We should go to L.A. and mix in L.A. Of course, we, we should have just mixed it back in Vancouver because <laughs> we would have saved ourselves a ton of money. But yeah. we thought, oh, we, we got to do it in L.A. because that's, that's where all the people that make records are. Yeah. Was it crazy when you went there to do that? I just can't imagine being, I don't know, eight, well, 16 the first time you went, and then 18 after you'd sign. You're, you're a kid at that point, going to L.A. and doing that kind of thing. Was it, or were you just really mature? I don't know. It, it seems like it would have been surreal. Surreal is a good word for it. Mm-hmm. Like, were you able to take it all in, or were you just like, what's happening? Or, or did you feel like you were already having, like, a rock star moment? Like, wow, this is all... Like, did you get ahead of yourself, or were you kind of, I don't know, just more taking it in? I, just, I think I was just sort of taking it in and still working it out, because there's not like an instruction manual on how to make a record or how to have a successful record. So mm-hmm. we just thought, well, let's go to L.A., because that's where records are made, and <laughs> that's it. Uh can you paint a picture a little bit of uh, like uh, rock music and, and classic rock music? Uh, that's my favorite favorite type of music. I, I've I've always loved it, probably because my dad loved it, and so I'm obsessed with it because of that. And I've been to almost every great concert. I'm mad I have not been to yours yet. I will go next time you're anywhere near where I am. Can you paint a picture of what it was like when you were 18 years old in LA in the music scene during that time? Like, what did it look like then? With that's different to now. Because I fantasize well, about that time. I think it's so cool. Like the, you know, the the Raya House or whatever, that, the Hyatt on Sunset, the one that's next to the comedy store. Uh, uh, yeah. The Rock and Roll Hotel, all that stuff. It's just fascinating to me. The Rainbow Room, all just all the rock and roll sort of landmarks. Can you paint a picture of just what it was like <laughs> in the music scene during that time? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I really can't. Um, other than I did get to meet Ethel Merman. Uh, okay. At a record sign, at a record signing, uh-huh. uh, on, on there was a book bookshop on Sunset Boulevard, and I was just going by it, and it said Ethel Merman, and her new album. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll I'll queue up for this, and uh, so I queued up, and I, I'm, I think she's, I bought a record, and she signed it. That's cool. So you never really spent much time in L.A. in that in that scene. You just I I couldn't afford it. Yeah. Really. Okay. No. I mean, I was a struggling musician. I, I managed to get the record company to pick up the cost to fly us to L.A. to mix the record. And once the record was done mixing, they shipped us home. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I was hanging out at the Roxy and getting wasted with uh, with Jimmy Page. Really? It was just, no, I wish I, I would love to have done that, but it's just, you know. Well, you're, you're, quite a, you're quite a bit younger, too, though. The money ran out, and it was like sort of. I think the sort of the visa. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. 
So do you did most of your recording in, in uh, Canada? That's right. And then, and then, then in New York. Mm-hmm. What, um, what was the first, when did you write your first hit and did you know right when you wrote it, were you like, this is going to be the one? Or did the record company sort of decide, like you wrote a bunch of songs and they were like, no, this is your single, this is your hit? Uh, well, I, I wrote a song uh, when I was 18 called Straight From The Heart. I and love that song. <laughs> that, that song came out five years later mm-hmm. um, and was, was the first top 10 record. But I didn't know that it was a hit record. I, mean, I, just, I just thought it was a nice song. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have that much experience to, at 18 to be able to write those kind of powerful lyrics? Uh, you know what? It just made sense at the time that those, those, that sort of, those lines just came came to me at the time, and that this, you know, just jotted them down. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess you're just very good at it. Um, uh, I don't know. It just this it just made it all sort of came together. Mm-hmm. Would you say like you're somewhat of like um, like a like more of a straight laced. Uh, like musician, like rock musician, meaning you didn't um, do a bunch of heroin and go to rehab. Um, I didn't do a bunch of heroin and go to rehab. No. Yeah, you seem you seem like uh, fairly clean cut, uh, at least from what I can well, tell. You know, after the haircut um, from my fifteen-year-old uh, long hair days, yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish I'd kept that hair. Yeah. You never had like times when you were partying on the road. To yeah. Hear about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unfortunately, um, I I really can't uh, remember much about them. Oh, but, see, those are the best kind of parties. So, uh, and it wasn't it, it wasn't the question of being wasted or anything. It's just I don't remember them. Yeah. Because I I never really got into alcohol. You don't drink at all, or just no. didn't drink much. No, I never really liked it. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, that's also probably why you've had such a long career, is you, and you didn't probably make a bunch of mistakes. That's very smart. Oh, no, I'm sure I made a lot of mistakes. Everyone does. It's, that's normal. Yeah. Not alcohol-related ones, though, or drug-related mm-hmm. ones. No. Yeah. Do you, so you've spent most of your time um, since your career just being on the road? A lot of it. Because you said earlier when, I mean, you, when you, we talked about for If you're looking for air miles, I mean... Like, I've got a few. <laughs> I, I believe that you do. So you've been on the road for how many, like 40 years, you said? This is before we started recording. You mentioned that. Yeah. So I guess it would be 1975. Do you like being on the road? Do you get, do you get rest, do. restless when you're at home and you feel more comfortable on the road? I think it's, it's nice to be out there working, but it's also nice to be at home. Mm-hmm. And... I, I tour kind of differently to most people. I go out for for ten shows a month, and then I come home. And then, how long are you home for normally? Uh, until the next ten shows come up. Okay. Which is like every month. So, so basically, what you're saying is you're constantly on the road. I think so. <clears throat> it's like it's like having it's like having a job that you really like. Mm-hmm. Which isn't doesn't really feel like a job. Yeah. No, I get that. That's how comedy feels to me. I I love being yeah. on the road. What's your favorite joke? My favorite joke that I tell or just in general? Just your favorite joke, yeah. Um, geez, anything that Bill Burr says. Do you know who Bill Burr is? 
No, I want to hear one of your favorite jokes. Like, what's your favorite joke? Well, I don't joke? know. I don't know any like short jokes. See, most of the ones I like are like long stories. Okay. Do you, well, do you have a favorite tell joke? Me, tell me your Bill Burr favorite jokes. Oh my jokes. gosh, He's, his stories are his stuff is so long. They're like, uh, do you know who he is? No. Uh, see, it, I'll make you look him up after this, and you'll know why there's not like all, there's almost no way to tell one joke of his because they're long, drawn out like rants and stories. I don't know a lot of really short jokes. Really? Now I have to think about it. Yeah, because that's not my, so the, you, my style of comedy so you, either. So your, your comedy is more sort of long yeah. stories? Mm-hmm, yeah, like I tell stories about just experiences in my life and, and things I observe and stuff. And so they're not... Like stories about your mom? Uh, I don't... God, I, I should. I don't have any yet about her. I mean, I have ideas written down, but there's no formulated jokes about her yet. But she, has, she is good material. <laughs> okay. She's a, she's a goofball. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite comedian? Uh, Bill Burr. You don't know he is. <laughs> Do you like, who's, uh, who's your favorite? I quite like, um, uh, Billy Connolly. Uh-huh. Do you know who, uh, Jim Jeffries is? I'm just thinking accent-wise. He's Australian. You're not Australian, obviously. But I think I do know who he is, yeah. Uh, you know, and I like sort of the classic comedy of like John Cleese and. Oh yeah, uh, he's wonderful. I'm really good friends with his daughter Camilla Cleese. She's a comedian. Yeah, she's really funny too. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you know her? No, but I, I've met her. But but yeah, she's very funny. Yeah, she's very funny. Very tall. <laughs> yeah. Who are your close friends in the industry? I guess I'm just thinking like anyone. Uh, well, actually, my closest friends are the people that are sort of around me. You know, my my immediate entourage and, and mm-hmm. you know, I've had the same manager since I started, you know, I work with the same musicians since I started. Those are the people that are closest to me. Mm-hmm. You seem like a really, really good dude. I feel like I'm not able to crack the surface of you, but that's okay. <laughs> but I feel like overall you seem like a really, like I just said, you're just <laughs> like a sweet, calm dude. Thanks. That's very nice of you. Yeah. Have you, and you've probably always been that way? Uh, I, I think so. Uh, I don't really have anything to sort of gauge it on other than, you know, just you are who you are and you, and you stay true to the things that you love to do and I don't know, that's <laughs> just a weird, weird question. Well, well I know, well, yeah, but, but you, I guess you, you became successful so young or started the, the business so young you would have no frame of reference, but I think you would probably know, I think, I think it sounds like you definitely know who you are for sure. I think so. I'm, I'm going to go check after this interview. Yeah. <laughs> Just go, like, take a poll, ask people, yeah. get a survey, and be yeah. like, am I, am I doing this right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite song that you have recorded? Or what, what is the song you're most proud of? Or, okay, I, well, it's going to be a two-part question. I'm going to ask the first part. What's okay, this? you're really confusing me now. I'm bouncing around. What is the song that you're most proud of that you recorded? Well... I mean, I like all the songs everyone else likes, of course, mm-hmm. but I, I also sort of like what I'm doing right now, which is I'm working on a musical. Oh, cool. Where, for what? I, I'm doing the musical adaptation of uh, the film Pretty Woman. Really? Yeah. How cool. Is that going to be on Broadway? Yeah. How exciting. It is. It's really exciting. And so I'm, I'm really, really loving what we're doing with that. When does that come out? I think it'll be 
going to the public for the first time in about six months. I am definitely going to see that. It's going to open in Chicago first in about six months' time, and then it's going to go to Broadway. That is so exciting. It is. It's really exciting. And you're doing all of the music for it? Yeah, I'm co-writing it with Jim, and we've been working on it for, well, I guess two years now. Wow, that's really, really cool. Yeah. Really cool. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm, if you answer your question, I'm quite excited about that. Yeah. What, I mean, I would, that's really cool. What was your favorite or, or most memorable touring experience, like stage experience? Um, thinking like, you know, there's people who are like, oh, I played Woodstock or I played at this charity thing or I played with this uh, musician that I loved or I just played at this small venue. Like, what was your favorite live performance or, or touring experience? I released a, a record early this year of a show I did in London uh, at Wembley and it was it was strange because for, for many years people kept writing to me saying when are you going to put the Wembley show out and I said well forget it it's not going to happen because there's no film and the audio was a live broadcast and so there's there's nothing to it's not going to happen people kept sending me clips that they had they'd found and I was like where did you find this and, and I said, well maybe we did film it and I just couldn't remember uh-huh. and, and then one day we were cleaning out my studio I have a recording studio in Vancouver and we were cleaning out the basement and came across a box of beta film and it was like Betamax whatever I can remember some sort of strange format uh-huh. it's like, well, and what's this and it turned out to be this Wembley show we got a system together to look at it and sure enough it was a six or eight camera shoot that had been just put into a box and sent to me oh my and gosh then it slowly started to come back to me that oh yeah I did remember putting extra cameras out to do this and oh yeah I do remember talking about it just it just forgot about it because it just got put into a box and filed and we were on to the next thing it was just Wow. Anyway, a friend of mine put it together for me and edited it for me. It took him forever. And we released it earlier this year. It's live at Wembley Stadium in 96. Okay, and I'm going to so look that, it up. That was, that was kind of a significant moment. If I had to pinpoint one right now, I'd say that one only because the story is kind of funny about finding tapes in the basement mm-hmm. and something I, I would never have... Uh, I would never have never have found it if it hadn't been sent to my studio. That's really cool. It was really cool. Do you have any um, Do you have any great, uh, interesting stories about or poignant stories about being on the road or, or having a show where like something went wrong where you were like, oh my god, how am I going to recover from this? Or like the sound shut off? Or yeah, I can think of one particular one where. I was playing in Barcelona, mm-hmm. as you do. Yeah. And <laughs> if you're fancy. <laughs> if you're fancy, and yeah. I remember th- there was a moment where the lights came up and we were you sort of talking to the crowd, and and off to my left hand side I saw a drink being hurled in the air. Oh wow. 
and I watched it. It's almost like in slow motion. You watch this drink, and you know, so a little bit sort of comes off the top of it. But it was like the most perfect. Whoever threw it, like threw it perfectly, and it sort of sailed across the audience and landed directly on top of the sound desk. Mm. And that was the end of the show. Oh my gosh. What did they do with that guy? Did they immediately, or girl? Well, did they- no, nobody, nobody knew who did it. It was just one of those things. Somebody, th- somebody threw a beer, and <laughs> that was the end of the show. Oh my gosh! I bet uh, they felt like a moron. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, we never got to the bottom of it, but luckily it was towards the end of the show, so it didn't really matter. But <laughs> oh dear. That's that's insane. Where was? Oh, because I was in Barcelona. Yeah. Who, who's your favorite person you ever performed with, musician? Or comedian, if you have one. And you mean if, like Rachel, Rachel yeah, O'Brien? Yeah, I was going to say, and if you say like the future, yeah, in the future, Rachel O'Brien, like well, that's was, a totally fine I was, answer. I was hoping that Rachel was going to tell me a funny joke, but she hasn't yet. Uh, they're never as funny. Over, they have to either be live in a comedy club or perhaps live in person. They're not, and if, uh, well, especially if they're long stories. I mean, I'd be up for a long story. Mm, let me think about it. I'll think about it. You, 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 I'll think about it. Huh. First, you answer your question about your favorite musician that you performed with. Obviously, we already know the answer to the favorite comedian in the future is Rachel, but who's your favorite yeah. musician you've ever performed with? You, you know, I, again, I've, I've been so lucky to, to, to work with so many people. And recently on my Instagram, I posted a photograph of myself performing with Tina Turner. I saw and, that. Yeah, and so, I mean, I'm going to, I got to say, the best, without, without a doubt, the most fun, the most exciting, the most exhilarating, uh, the most powerful, uh, and truly amazing talent was working with Tina. I bet. She's a force. I mean, just amazing. I can't, it's just... Do you ever get intimidated by other artists? Of course. Yeah, that's quite normal. Yeah. Oh. Not I, that think, I, think that, I think that's really normal for people to feel that. Yeah, I guess I, I understand that. I get more intimidated by wanting to impress the comics I'm, I'm on the lineup with. So if, like, you know, I'm performing with someone I looked up to before, like a David Spade or a Judd Apatow or Jeff Ross or someone, I care more about what they think of me than I care about what the audience thinks of me. Because I feel like I just, like, they were my idols. I just want to impress them. Do you, so would you find, did you find yourself swearing more or that sort of thing? Um, no, I, I mean, I definitely probably try to find myself, like, playing it cool more. Like, like, uh, like I'm not, like, super excited to be there, maybe. Um, oh, right. I guess I'm just more nervous. It's not like another type of show where you know I just do my set and I, I finish and I'm just really hoping if they're watching me from the audience if they're going to go on before or after me if they see my set that they think it's good have you ever been like a, a, done doing a show and and you know that like someone like David Spade's out there watching your show and then next thing you know you turn around and you see him walking out the door well yeah, I mean I talked to him like oh you mean like like that where he didn't see my show or no, like, like he walked out you're, you're, because you're of my on set. stage. You're, you're like in your set, in the middle of your set, and you see the guy walk out. Um, I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I actually think it had not, I don't think he walked out because of me, but there was someone recently where 
like the lineup just got moved and and I was supposed to bring someone that I was like was one of my idols up I can't remember who it was up on stage and uh, they ended up moving the lineup and I didn't realize that until later and I, I saw one of them walk out the door and I was like he didn't see my set or he didn't like it oh no <laughs> everything's over yeah the that's probably happened. I don't know if it's because I sucked or if it just was like, you know, they walked out because they had to. So smoke it wasn't her. like it, it wasn't like that. You couldn't remember a funny joke and. No. Oh, like like right now. now. Yeah, yeah. Not like right now. <laughs> have, have you ever been st- sort of out there and suddenly you couldn't remember anything funny to say? I've blanked because that's quite that's quite funny right in itself. Um, I've blanked on my set before, but I don't know if it's something that the audience would notice. But as a stand-up comedian, and I'm sure any performer on stage, five seconds can feel like five hours, where you're just thinking like, "What's my next thing? What's my next thing?" And it's only maybe five seconds, but you run through every mistake you've ever made in your life. Every every like you're just like, "This is everyone hates me. This is the end of everything," and it feels. Yeah, I, I've blinked, but I don't know if the audience would necessarily notice. But to me, it's like the end of the world. Billy Connolly is one of the funniest people I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, do you know his comedy? Do you know his, his stand-up? Yeah, a little bit. I know who he is, yeah. I mean, the He's things he said, the things he says are just, I mean, I'm just, it's really brilliant. What's your favorite bit uh, of his? Uh, he, he does this thing about um, terrorists coming to Glasgow, mm-hmm. and I can't remember the full joke, obviously, but it's a joke in itself that any terrorist would want to go to Glasgow um, because there's enough terror in Glasgow already. Um, That's funny. And anyway, he he embellishes on that whole theme. That's really funny. I like him. I think he's great. I don't know a ton of his stuff. See, okay, so you, yeah, you, you just told a joke. That was good of his. That was good. See, you've already done more comedy than I have on this podcast. I'm trying. Someone's going to pick it up here. Yeah, seriously. Well, it's not always, it's not always about the comedy. Listen, this is, I, I, I'm fascinated to hear about your career more than just talking about comedy. I, I told you, I mean, it's really dull. It's not dull. You've had a fascinating life. Right now, I can't get my head past Irma. You can't? Okay. That, that, that hurricane, okay. Do you know that, that Hurricane Irma has already put itself into the top seven biggest hurricanes to ever cross the Atlantic? Jesus. Is this going to be worse than Harvey? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's at a Category 5 right now, and I'm just sitting here watching it as I speak to you. So are you able to fly out of wherever you are? Oh, yeah. But, I mean... Just think of this. I'm talking to Rachel O'Brien and I'm watching Hurricane Irma at the same time. That's that's history right I mean, that's, there. That's just, I mean, nobody else is doing that. That's true. No one else is um, talking to Brian Adams, whom they listened to as a kid. Not that I'm saying I'm that much younger than you, but listen, I used to listen to your music a lot. And we're talking about Hurricane Irma. So I feel like there's more history on my part. I don't know what a Hurricane Irma is going to do, but it's leaving a trail behind it. And uh, it, that's only in the ocean. So I, I just feel, I hope everyone's battened the hatches down as it hits, you know, all these islands it's about to hit. Where is it close to you right now? It's somewhere over um, the Antilles, the eastern mm-hmm. Antilles, like, like um, Dominica and mm-hmm. Barbuda. And 
Yeah, St. Martin, those places up there. It's so scary. Yeah. Very scary. Um, do you do a lot of charity stuff for things like that? I saw that you have a foundation. I, know I heard you tapping on your computer. Are you Googling Irma as I speak to you? No, I was, I was clicking my, my, uh, my pen back and forth. Okay. Occasionally. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so, most people that get put in the public eye tend to work in, in charity. That's pretty normal. Yeah, but you, I thought you had a specific one. I'm looking at your bio. Uh, right now, I, I, with my shows, I'm doing this thing with the Shriners where we're um, donating all the proceeds of, you know, CDs and stuff that we make on the on the show. We give them to the, the Shriners because they have this incredible network of hospitals that specializes in orthopedic and burn care mm -hmm. and they take they take they take care of these children regardless of family's ability to pay being able to pay it mm -hmm. so you know big big kudos to them no that's incredible i've always thought that that those hospitals that charity was amazing yeah what's next for you besides the pretty woman thing the next thing is just hopefully the the, the shows that i've got coming up are, are not going to be postponed because of irma mm -hmm. and otherwise i'll just be I'll be just gigging, coming to a town near you soon. I love I love people that say gigging. My so Jim Jeffries, that comedian, is one of my friends, and I think it's maybe like an English thing or an Australian thing or whatever thing to use that as a term. And so I've picked that up. I say it like gigging now. I like that term. Yeah, yeah. Having a, you're doing a gig. Yeah, I love that. I just love that term, gig. I have a gig tonight. Is that is, is that is that not a, an American term? No, I mean I say the word gig like oh I, I have a gig tonight, but gigging. It's just a cool, I don't know, it just sounds cool as opposed to like, I have a show tonight or I'm, I'm going on tour. It's like, yeah, I'm gigging. I just think it's cool. I like it is it. good. Where are your next couple shows? Listen. Well, they, were, they were supposed to be in Florida this yeah. weekend, but the hurricanes put a dent on that. So we'll, we'll probably pick it up next week somewhere. Where? Because I'm, I'll, listen, I'm going to come fly and see your, one of your shows if you're not going to yeah, be yeah, in LA soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it could be near where I'm doing stand-up. You never know. Right. Okay, well, in which case, um, Sugarland, Texas. Okay. Tulsa. Okay. And after that, the following month, I'm in Puerto Rico and then Mexico. Ooh, where in Mexico? Uh, Monterrey, mm -hmm. Guadalajara, Puebla, Mexico City, and then that's it, yeah. So um, are all your are all your dates on your site? Yeah, we basically tour Mexico based on the quality of guacamole. <laughs> I think that's a great way to do it. Are you are you a big food person? I, I won't go anywhere that where the food's horrible. Oh, I'm the same way. I love food. Yeah. I love good restaurants. I listen. Do you know who Anthony Bourdain is? No. <gasps> Look him up if you love food. He has the greatest job in the world, besides maybe. I don't know. He, I think he has the greatest job in the world. He is this guy who, and he Just has, eats. no, he has this like rock star sort of vibe. He's fascinating. You'll like him. I, I trust that I'm giving you a good recommendation. Anthony um, Kiedis? No, not him. Anthony Bourdain. He was like a, like a, like a very famous chef who's kind of lived this hard life, uh, but he doesn't anymore. And he has this show. I mean, he has like, six million followers on social media. He's a I deal. love Anthony Kiedis. It's not Anthony Kiedis, it's Anthony Bourdain. And he travels around the world and goes to all these countries and like eats with the locals, lives with the locals, they film it. If you love food, it's very cool.
We pe- we played with the peppers once. They're amazing. <laughs> they are great, but this is not what I'm talking about. Stop trying to be the jokester on this, Brian. <laughs> Someone's got to lighten it up here. Yeah, but I'm fascinated by your career, so I wanted to ask you questions. Uh, thank you for doing this. Do you want to tell people where they can find you on social media? No, nah, it's all right. Why not? That would just be, what do you call it? Uh, Gratuitous or something? Yeah. No, that's how people do it nowadays. Gratuitous self-promotion. I, I, nah. Whatever. I'll just do it like, for you when like, we get off. Don't buy the records. Don't come to the shows. But listen to this podcast. Oh, you're, you're a good guy. Okay. I'll promote you. I'll promote you when we get off of here. All right, Rach. Nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. Thank you for doing this. All right. Bye. Bye.